question to kind of get our thoughts flowing in the right direction. If I were to ask you now, if someone on the street were to ask you, what is it exactly that you believe? How would you, in a succinct statement, summarize what you believe? You're a Christian, maybe some of you aren't, maybe some of you are seeking, but if you are a believer in Jesus, call yourself a Christian, how would you very simply, I'm not giving you a paragraph, I'm not giving you 15 minutes, you know, the elevator pitch, right? We, we know this concept, but the quickest, simplest form of something, how would you describe what you believe? Larry. Forgiveness and salvation. Forgiveness and salvation. Awesome. What else? How do we elaborate? Hands? Yes. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. There we go. There we go. Absolutely. It's great. Yeah, that's profound. What else? What do you believe? Andy? You could continue, I know you, but the simple version which you gave us, yeah, a loving God who created us, who had a plan, who brought forth his son for our salvation. Yeah, those tenets of our doctrine, of our faith, what we stand on. This is good. Any other ideas? Freedom. Freedom. Was that Michelle Murphy? I love hearing you speak up in church again. It's great. Welcome back to this place. Yes, brother. Uh, not looking in the past, forward, as Philippians mm. 3 or 14 expresses. Yeah. Because you look behind, you try to go forward, you're going to try. Cool. Cool. Looking forward, Philippians as your basis. Awesome. Tracy, you got to speak up a little bit. You're in the back of the room. So experience, it works. Yeah, our experience backs it up. Anything else? How would you answer it? David or Michaela? I was going to say Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Awesome. Yeah, that brings a lot with it. Good statement. God created the world and us to be in communion with him. So that's... That's what I know about God. He wants me in communion with Him. God wants the world and us in communion with Him. Amazing. Sally. The Bible is God's inerrant word. The Bible is God's inerrant word. Awesome. Perfect. Anything else come to mind? What do you believe? Yeah, Steve. Praising God is the only way to eternal life. Praising God is the only way to eternal life. Yeah, you're hitting all hitting on such great points. And the more you answer it, the more you probably think of another thing you could say to add in, right? It's not simple. It's true, and you can have a faith of a child, but God and his workings is a complex sort of thing. So I thought one way to answer this is with the recitation of a creed. Historically in the Christian church, there have been creeds like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, which we're going to read together here, which have been summaries of the faith. And uh, not through any coordination, but the new curriculum that Nicole and Piper and other teachers are going to be working with our kids is a catechism-based curriculum. So it has thoughts. We're working our way through thoughts that are the basics of our beliefs so that over time you collect a full, comprehensive look at faith. And so it's nice that she's kicking that off today because they're thinking that way. I wanted us to think that way and where I want to direct our thoughts. We're in the book of Colossians, right? So in Colossians 1 and 2, we're going to see as we dig in, there's some of the like most amazing description of what our faith in God is supposed to look like and what it's all about. It's like nuts and bolts kind of stuff. And so we're going to look for those pieces and put them together. But um, I'd like to read with you, all of us, the Nicene Creed. I think we have the words that we can put up on the wall. So if we could read this together, this is a historic confession of faith that was put together by the church, I think 325 and then ratified in like 372, somewhere right in there. And um, this is, to the best of the church at that time's ability, what it means to be a Christian, orthodox, fully believing, saved Christian. So I hope you can recite all of this with me in belief, in faith. If there are parts of it that you're curious about, that's good. That's why we're reading it. To question, what do we know about all the different facets? of our faith, how would we answer this question? So read with me this morning. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, 
Begotten of the Father before all worlds, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost and of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate and suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. From thence he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church, we acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. Don't forward quite yet to the last slide. So this is the end of the Nicene Creed, but in the 325 version, they had this paragraph at the end. <clears throat> because along with all the things that we believe, they're the things that we do not believe, that we cannot believe, that we cannot accept. And the reason these creeds are put together is there's so much misinformation and disinformation and heresy creeping into the church. We have to know what's in and what's out. There has to be a boundary line because if you can just believe anything or do anything, then what's the point of our faith? What's the point of Jesus dying on the cross if it doesn't even matter if it happens? So they had what they called statements of anathema, like let it be cursed. Anathema statements. And so I would like to read those for you. Um, you can recite it if you want, but it was basically like a little postscript. So this is what we believe. This is what we do not believe. And so this closing anathema statement from 325 said, but to those who say there was a time when Jesus Jesus was not, or he was not before he was made, or he was made out of nothing, or he is of another substance you know, from God or essence, or the Son of God is created, or Son of God is changeable, or he is alterable, they are condemned by the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. You are damned if you believe these things and saved if you believe the other. Like that's about as clear cut and as precise as you can possibly get. But it draws a line in the sand. And if you back up one slide to some of those statements, actually, yeah, this one here is good, this one's good too. Um, I feel like everybody says these now today all the time. <laughs> Like, Jesus was just a man. He just kind of came on the scene. He was a good man. He was a good prophet. So there was, it was a time before he was. And he was a person like us, so God made him. You know, Jesus put on his pants one leg at a time, just like everybody. It was toga, one sleeve at a time. I don't know. Right? What's the next slide say, Andy? Um, he's not the same as God. You know, Jesus is like a different sort of thing. You've got God, and then you have this prophet. I feel like this is common thought patterns in our world. And so that's tricky, because that means we'll be hearing these ourselves. This is not old-fashioned thought. This is just the alternative to faith. And many people will always hold to these sort of like shades of meaning. How do we understand God? How do we understand him with Jesus? And him and Jesus with the Holy Spirit? We say the word Trinity, but what does that mean? These things are actually super important. And the reason I want to talk about it is because I feel like in our day and age, there is such a strong anti-intellectual sentiment. Don't tell me all you know. I'm skeptical of people who feel like they know it all. Maybe you can relate. A talking head on TV, I'm like, maybe. A podcast, let me double check that. A book, who wrote it? Who published it? Right? Like science, they're able to probably find something else out opposite, you know, next month. So I'll, I'll bide my time. There is this kind of skepticism about knowledge and facts. And what I was thinking about this week is that that creeps into the church so easily. And so then we don't try to like get too deep. We keep it simple. We say, well, basically God is love. And we like simplify the gospel 
message. We try to find like common ground and say, oh, well, it's all kind of like the same thing instead of, well, what about this? This is different from that in this way. What are the differences between different denominations? What are the differences between different religions? We kind of dilute things to an easily digestible thing, but then what that does is that stunts our growth intellectually and mentally. Then we never force ourselves to go so deep into God that we'd be like, I'm studying him because there's more that I want to know. And there are little aspects of him that if I dig in, I could get so much more. We like lower the bar to the lowest common denomination, denominator. We don't like authoritative statements. We like, let's keep it simple mentalities. We generalize so often. But where is the place for saying God is infinite and we could spend our entire lives knowing more and more and more, never even scratch the surface. So instead of just generalizing, oh, I believe in a God, what do we know about that God? Because here's the risk. We could have it wrong in our ignorance and think we've got it right. Lack of knowledge leads to ignorance. And ignorance can lead to an unsaving faith where we say that statement that you've settled on, which seemed right to you because you don't know any better, is actually wrong. I think I, I grabbed the, the quote here. Um, it's from the, the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is telling the parable of the sheep and the goats. Do you remember that when the people are about to be cast into hell, come to Jesus? He says, why didn't you ever serve me? Like, when did we not serve you? They didn't know but they are condemned. There is a type of faith that's not true faith, but feels like it until you see God face to face, and then you find out that it wasn't right. And the only way to combat that kind of like floating, waffling, simplistic ignorance, and not even like deliberate ignorance, just unknowing, is by digging into God. Yes, there is a scripture that says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. We know this, right? But nowhere in the Bible does it say that God does not want us to know him deeply. In fact, it says the exact opposite. Let me read these scriptures for you this morning. Colossians 1.9 says, From that day we've heard we have not ceased to pray for you, that ye may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Know him so that you know what to do, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Not decreasing, not simplifying, but digging in more and more. Philippians 1.9 says, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge. So how do you get better at loving a spouse or a friend? You get to know them more. You can love some, but if you don't know them, you can be unintentionally hurting them, harming them, neglecting them all the time and just oblivious, sort of like crashing through life with someone suffering. What if that's how we're treating God because we don't know him well enough to know how he needs to be loved and what love with him looks like and how it works so the fruit will come based on the love that abounds in knowledge. This, there's so many scriptures like this. Second Peter 1 says, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with your virtue and your virtue with knowledge. So it starts with faith. It's all about love, but you're building it up. You're strengthening. You're digging deeper. You're knowing God more so that, in the next couple of verses, it will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, 2 says, um, let's be knit together in love to reach all the riches of full understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ. Colossians 3, 9 says, we put on our new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is the missing piece for, for people who didn't know their parents very well, those who were adopted, all sorts of situations, parents not staying, like, you're renewed an image of who you are by knowing where you come from and who your people are. Your identity is formed by understanding whose you are and what type of person you are. And that comes from things that we inherit as well as things that we experience. And so there's this piece of us that the more we get to know what family we're a part of, the more it makes us make sense to ourselves. And when someone says, oh, you're just like your mom in that way, you're just like your dad in that way, sometimes it's a criticism. But sometimes it's the most beautiful thing because mom was so good at that. Dad is so good at that. I would love to be like grandpa in that way because we inherit that knowledge which then lets us know what it means to be fruitful. We use the opposite statements all the time. That's not how we talk in this family. 
I'm a dad, I'm practiced at that statement. I got a lot of mileage on that statement. That's not how we talk in this family. Why? Why not? Just say whatever you want. Because that's not what we're trying to be here. That's not what we're trying to do. That's not who I am, who my wife is. So that's not the culture we're trying to build here. And you come from us, and so we're together. And in this house, we love each other, and we speak kindly to each other, and we compliment one another. We don't criticize. Right? From the identity ripples out the fruit. How you're going to act is determined by how much you know. And if you know that your mom or your dad or your sibling gets irritable when they don't have enough to eat. This never happens in our house. There's never any hangry moments in our house, <clears throat> Michelle. But sometimes, theoretically, there could be. I, I did say that out loud. Um, wouldn't you love that person enough to recognize that? And instead of fighting or bickering, be like, hey, here's a sandwich. Here's a Snickers. Right, right. Our fruit, our actions is totally determined by our knowledge of a person. And one of the best quotes I ever heard about this is this one. It's from um, um, Brother Lawrence in his book, Practicing the Presence of God. He says it this way. This is a statement, and then I'll read his larger quote. He says, knowledge Oh, musical interlude, yes. Oh, no worries. I'll probably be the next one. I promise not to take the call while I'm preaching, but it'll probably ring at some point. Um, He says, knowledge is commonly the measure of love. Can you think about that with me for a minute? Knowledge is commonly a measurement tool for how much you love something. So if I were to ask you, if we go kind of in reverse order, what are the things that you know the most about? So if I think about what things people here like, know the most about. Uh, mountain biking might be one, skiing might be another, uh, sewing might be another, uh, music. What are the things we know the most about? What are the podcasts that we can't get enough of? The things that we research just for like the fun of it. There's something about that that's drawing us, that pulls us. The things you know nothing about, you have no affinity for, you have no love for. So then put that into our relationship with God. Just. Do that and say, how much do I know about God? Or for me, is God just, oh, he made everything and he's kind of, he's great. Well, yeah, but if that's where you stop, that's like saying, oh, I like skis. But you never go skiing. You don't know what brands are. You don't own any. You never ski. Like, how can you say you love this thing if it's like, I think skiing's like fast. <laughs> or like children. Oh, I love kids. What do you know about kids? Short. They're short. Yeah, kids are short. That's not love. That's like an abstract, weird dilution of everything that is to be a child with their joy and their insanities and their cuteness and like love children. Oh, by the way, then you want to have kids because you love them and you love a person and the more you get to know them, it shows that you love them and when you're willing to pick up the shoes off the floor, again, a home analogy. I won't throw anybody's name under the bus here, Piper or sometimes Eli. Like sometimes when the shoe's on the floor, it's like, well, I love these people. I can grab them as I walk by and drop them over here, right? Like these, it's a knowledge-based love. So Brother Lawrence's full quote on this, he published, this was published some of his letters posthumously for him. The whole book is called Practicing the Presence of God. It was published in 1691. So these things have been true for a long time. He says, let all our employment be to know God. Let all our business, let all our work, let all our, let all our employment be to know God. The more one knows him, the more one desires to know him. It gets good. You get greedy. And as knowledge is commonly the measure of love, the deeper and more extensive our knowledge shall be, the greater will be our love. And if our love of God were great, we should love him equally in pains and pleasures. It's not about what he can do for us. It's not about what we get out of it. It's not about where are you, God, because things are tough. I just love you. And if we have as our, you know, three core pillars, our values as a new hope, love God, love your neighbor, and love ourselves, we have to know more and more about God all the time. We have to. We have to put our our actions where our mouths are. 
We say we love God. What does that mean? How deeply do we dig? Yes, we have a child life faith, but we need our minds sometimes to catch up with our hearts. Great, you have a loving affection for someone. But how well do you know them? Because that will determine how fruitful you can be in actually loving them. It's the difference between knowing about God and knowing Him personally. It can know about someone, have lots of knowledge, and that becomes empty religion. Even something we read before, like a creed, it can become just sort of like an empty set of words that you recite. You go to church and you recite the thing. But if you were to stop and think about what each of those things mean, about what God did for us with his son and the cross and creation and him being our father and the things that we're to stay away from, the things we're to adhere to, it should inspire this like amazing, mind-blowing sense of love. So the difference between knowing the God of the creed versus knowing the creed. For our children, the difference between knowing catechism, questions and answers, versus knowing the Jesus that they point to. This is what we're striving for. So this all comes down to the core difference between Christianity and every other religion out there. Uh, There are three major world religions that believe in one God. So those are the minority within the world. So monotheism, I just believe in one God, that's a good way to kind of whittle out the bulk of the world religions if you're trying to find how Christianity is different. So we believe in one God, good. But so does the Jewish faith apart from Christ, and so does the Muslim faith. They believe in one God. They have Allah, based on the Jewish God, Jewish scriptures, which Muhammad read from, liked the idea of, and created sort of an Arab uh, version of the law, which is adhered to, that he found and learned from the Jewish scriptures, and then obviously with Christ coming from Abraham through King David, the Messiah, you have this similar root. But you can't use one God to define Christianity and separate it from Judaism or Islam. They all believe. The one thing that Christianity can be defined by is the Trinity. Father, Son, Spirit. Not just God. There are a lot of deistic and theistic religions in the world. Oh, we believe in a God. Good. But we believe in a triune God. A God who is one and three. Three and one. And usually right about this time is when I'll see eyes kind of glossing over. And if I ask you to define it, be like, Three and one, it's kind of like, I don't know, like an egg. It's got like the shell and the yolk and the white. Like we, we just go simple and we stop. But if this is the one thing that is our gift from God, then the Trinity actually is the deepest well we could ever go into for understanding God. So if I were to ask all of us, myself included, when's the last time you did a good Bible study on the Trinity? Or how would you describe the difference and similarities between the persons of the Trinity? It kind of gets like a little bit popsicle, headache-ish, and then we just like, we power down. But that means there's more for us to dig into there if we don't have an answer, if we can't comprehend in some way, if we can't scratch the surface of the nature of God, that's why in the Nicene Creed it spent so much time saying God and the, the Father, Son, and Spirit are of the same essence. They're of one essence, but they're of three persons. Now, how do I understand that? This is actually the root of all those heresies we talked about too. Back in the early church, these creeds were put up. There were things like modalism. What were some of the other ones? Uh, yeah, docetism, Arianism, all these things where they tried to like split it, but they split it the wrong way. Instead of sticking to scripture and saying, this is the mystery of God in Christ, so don't try to understand it fully, but like be mesmerized by the mystery because it's beautiful. Understand as much as you can about the mystery. Your spiritual maturity and depth and like concept of how to love God will increase proportionate to how much you're digging into his nature, which is triune. The Trinity is like our our anchor. The Trinity is our heartbeat. The Trinity is our our one thing that separates us from everybody else. Because if you say our one thing that's different is Jesus, well, then you're saying, well, we're just like a leader. Every religion has a, a founder and a leader. So it's not just, it's because he was one with God that makes him different. It's because he died on a cross as an atoning sacrifice for all of us because he was fully man that makes him different. But the minute you say Jesus just was God, he kind of like pretended to be a person, well then you said, so God died on the cross. 
there was no God in heaven when Jesus died. Well, then who brought God back from the dead if God died? God didn't die on the cross. Jesus did, the person of Christ. Okay, well, there's the popsicle headache. Okay, work with it, work with it. And you can say, well, the God, God is in us through his Holy Spirit, third member of this trinity, but he's also in heaven, so he's multiplied throughout us. Good, good. Keep the headache going. Dig. Don't stop. Don't get scared. Don't tap out. Our God is co-eternal, co-existent, has always been a, there's been a muchness, a manyness to God, even though he is one. You're like, what about the Shema? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Do you know the Lord our God, the word God there is Elohim? Tell me if that's singular or plural. The word is plural. The single word for God's name in the Old Testament has always been a plural word because it can't be bottled up into a single thing. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. There are only three words that do that in the Hebrew language. One is the word for water. Like if I had a cup of water, how do you hold a water? Do you like, is, is it a drop? Is it a molecule? Is it a handful? Like what's a water? There's no such thing. Water is muchness and manyness. By its nature, it spreads and takes over. But it, every bit of it's water. But it can be a water in the inlet, a water in the deepest part of the ocean, the same ocean, right? So water, by its nature, has a muchness and a manyness to it. And the other one is heaven, the skies. That's a plural word, always. We're looking up at the sky, the skies. You can't look at a sky, like which part of the sky is sky, but yet the sky is around the world and it's dark in some places and light up the same sky. It's sky, God. God is everywhere all at once and yet he intervenes in human existence specifically and directly and timely for his people. That is Christ, the ultimate timely interaction, engagement of God with man. God became flesh. This muchness of God in some way was with us and yet still holding the universe together and enacting his plan. And then as Christ rose and went back to be with the Father, they're eternally coexisting together. And at the same time, his spirit is with us until we start to like scratch the surface of this concept. We are vulnerable as believers to getting it so wrong that we might not even be saved. Because if you believe that Jesus just came to give you good advice, that's not a saving faith. You can't get to heaven if Jesus is just a good teacher. It doesn't work that way. And yet if you think that we split the Trinity a certain way and God's in heaven and Jesus came and did some good things and really appreciated him and died for my sins, but not that he was God, then we're rejecting what the Bible actually says. Then that's not saving faith. You don't get to heaven with that faith. And if you say, well, Jesus didn't really die, he, kind of, he didn't really suffer as man, well, then you're rejecting the testimony of the people that were there with him and his own testimony, and therefore that's not saving faith. That faith doesn't get you into heaven. So how do we understand it? How do we dig deeper? How can we get there? How can we mature in our faith? It's by reading things like this series of chapters we're going to read together, Colossians 1 and 2. It's one of the best microscopes it just like travels over the nature of god and as it picks out little moments you get glimpses the word trinity is is a concept that we have a word that we've used to label what the bible reveals as father son and spirit but the word trinity itself isn't in the bible it's not a biblical word it's a christian word to describe god as he's revealed himself He's only ever revealed himself in this tripartite kind of way. In the beginning of Genesis, God was before all. His spirit hovered over all the waters. And his word brought things to be. Trinity in creation. Elohim, the name for God, always been plural. Makes man in his image. He said, let us make man in our image. We're not made in the image of angels. We're made in the image of God. He sees himself as this muchness, as this menness, not a simple thing to be diluted, vast, to blow our minds, to be a creator. He's not a man like us. He's not a woman like us. He's beyond that. Until we get to that, we cannot love him right. You cannot love God the right way if you don't know who the heck he is. If you think he's a Santa in the clouds with a nice white beard on the throne that gives out presents when you pray, if you pray the right way and say the right words, and if he's feeling generous, you don't know him. There's like a fundamental danger that we don't know God, and yet we think we do, and then we die, and he's like, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for Satan and his demons, because I never knew you. And then we're like, but 
What did I miss? Why didn't someone say more? And then we look back at our lives and realize everybody's just saying, oh, God is love. And it stopped there. God is love and God is wrath and God is redemption and Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God and the Holy Spirit is Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the mind of Christ in us. Christ in us is our saving. Like, you got to go there. And when someone asks you what you believe, I'd encourage you to just think. How can your answer be different than like a good Allah-fearing Muslim's answer would be? There's a good God, and he made everything, and I obey him. That doesn't define you as Christian yet. You're not quite there. You're almost there. But what if you're not defined as a Christian yet because you don't really know what it takes? What if so many people that are attending churches are thinking they're fine because they believe in a God and like what Jesus did, but don't go to that next step to say, Jesus is God, and if Jesus is not in me, and if I don't have the Holy Spirit in me, and I'm not in God, then I'm not going to heaven. As much as I love the idea of Jesus and try to do good things to kind of imitate his behavior, and as much as I love the songs we sing and agree with everything about there's got to be this level of belief that's Trinitarian. Otherwise, you don't know God enough to love him. Colossians 1 and 2. I'm going to suggest that you look for prepositions. This is a wonderful grammatical exercise. The English nerd in me loves this. Half of you are probably rolling your eyes. I don't care. If you pay attention to the words before God, the little, little words that come before every time you see the name God, the little, little words that come right before we see the word Jesus or Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, what, what, what their relationship is to us, and the Holy Spirit's mentioned once but inferred many times. You're going to see statements like of and from, always referring to God the Father. From Him, the knowledge of God, the wisdom from God. Every time you see Christ, you're going to see in and with. This is Emmanuel, God with us. What's our relationship to God? It's through Christ because he's with us. And he's, you're going to see ins and withs all over the place. Like, oh, all right. And the Holy Spirit, you're going to see in and through. Like, through because. And this is great theology. This is great doctrine. This is perfect Trinitarian doctrine in two chapters because it mentions God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit all over the place. And yet there's this consistent understanding on the part of Paul how we're supposed to relate to and experience this God that we really know so little about, but he's choos chosen to reveal himself constantly. We wouldn't have a Bible if God didn't want us to know more about him. The Bible itself is proof. God wants you to know. It got written down so you should know he wants that. God wouldn't have sent his son if he didn't want us to know better. It would have just been a, okay, there's a God out there. But no, he became a man and taught and lived and died and really to know. So this information is essential for us. And as we dig into Colossians, starting last week with this kind of blanket approach to prayer, a couple of weeks ago, I should say, and now with this Trinitarian approach, we're laying the groundwork for how we're going to read this entire book over the next several months. So I'm going to read through Colossians 1 and 2. I want you to follow with me. If you have a phone, you can. If you brought a Bible, all the better. If you're cool enough to make marks in your Bible, circle, underline, the widths, the ups, the froms, they really jump off the page once you notice. So that's, that's all my preface, right? That's my sermon. Scripture is going to speak now. And I hope that you will be reflecting on your own relationship with the triune God. You know, if there was no word Trinity that anybody ever come up with, how would you describe God? Be like, hey, well, he's kind of in these different ways. Good. Stretch your mind. Expand how you think about God so that it isn't just the faith of a child, but it starts with the faith of a child and then abounds more and more in knowledge, not so we can know a lot, but so that we can love better and so that we know God enough to know if we're truly in his family. Here's our Trinitarian study for this morning. Please follow along with me. I'm reading in the English Standard Version. Colossians 1.1, Paul starts off. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, so sent by Christ, sent by God's will. It's his whole purpose in life. And Timothy with him, our brother. 
to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So to this church that, that is part of Christ. They're in Christ. Christ is in them. Grace and peace to you from God. Where do grace and peace come from? God, our Father. He is the source. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God is the source of the Christ that became flesh. He eternally begets the Son. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, what do you hang on to? What do you jump into? This relationship with Jesus, the second part, second person of our triune God. And of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, the good news, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and it's increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Grace finds its source only in God. Is God's grace. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ. He is sent by Christ. He's ministering of the message of Christ. And has made to known to us your love in the Spirit. Love in the Spirit. Where do we get love? It is God in us. And then the Spirit flows outward. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. God's will, knowing it in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to mac, mac, sorry, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. A lifestyle worthy comes from God, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, the source of all true knowledge and wisdom. Being strengthened with all power. This is the allusion to the Holy Spirit. Another place in the Scripture makes it clear. Being strengthened through the Holy Spirit with all power, according to His glorious might. For all of our endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we're in Christ's kingdom, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So God's image, image from him, Christ, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, in Christ, through Christ, with him, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him, and Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Right? This is the vine and the branches. In him all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body. So he is community. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him... All the fullness of God, God's fullness, was pleased to dwell and through Christ to reconcile to himself, bring everybody back in, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in your mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in that faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, participation in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, the, the assignment, the mission from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God, the truth of God, God's word fully known, this mystery that's been hidden for ages and generations but is now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What's the mystery? Christ in you which is the hope of glory. So him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And for this I toil, struggling, not with our own strength, with all his energy, this Holy Spirit language, that he powerfully works within me. 
And Paul says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. So it's God's mystery. Where is it? It is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, why do I say this? This is an anathema statement at the end. I say this because of this other stuff that's out there. Paul says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received... Christ Jesus the Lord, so also walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And see to it that no one takes you captive <clears throat> by their worldly philosophies, their empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. For it is in him that the whole fullness of deity, of God, dwells bodily. You have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. May God bless the reading of his word. So this is the moment when you read something, you have to decide what you're going to do with that knowledge. Either our skeptical minds poke holes in the things that we don't understand, that may be happening to some of us here, it happens, like, well, what does that mean? I don't understand that, I don't agree with that, we go there. Um, we're actually well-trained in that, I think. That's one of our, our culture's prime skills. Hot takes. Doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong, just have a quick opinion off the cuff and stick to it. And the more outrageous, the better for attention. Like, that's how social media works, that's how entertainment works. Um, don't do that to God. <laughs> don't do that to when you read scripture. So that's one way you could respond. Another way, for maybe more analytical people here, folks, types, we say, well, how do I understand this? All right, we've got the widths, and we've got the ins, and we've got the throughs, and we've got the ofs. So if God is here in my life, when I pray, do I do, how do I do this? And we're trying to understand how he works. And this isn't something that is possible. God doesn't give us his anatomy. He gives us his character. The Bible doesn't dissect God, take him apart piece by piece, and say, this is how he works. So that no one, nothing can do that. Not the angels. No one can do that. But it does describe him. It paints pictures. It gives character, traits, his nature, the things he loves, the things he doesn't. So I think the third way you can read this is by saying, that was just the most insightful glimpse I could ever get into how God loves me and who he is. And if I want to spend my life and eternity with that God, how can that give me advice on how to love him back? Look at what he has done for me. Jesus, you're with me. So all the times where I feel lonely or isolated, that's Satan lying to me. You are with me in those times. That's not true because I understand that God is with me and always will. And there's no place I can go where God will not be present. What a God of love. He doesn't look at us in our darkest moments and say, ah, it's too bad. You have to go through that. Let me know when you get to the other side. That's not the God that we see here. 
What kind of love can that inspire in us when someone loves us despite ourselves, no matter what? And when you look at all the things that God gives of God, there's knowledge. We're all just feeling like, oh man, I don't know what to do. There's wisdom, decision-making, discernment, power. Don't we want all these things? And don't we try to like run around, try to figure, well, how am I going to make this decision? And how can I afford this? And what can I do with my life? And how do I handle this problem? And how do I fight this addiction? Like, those are all things that are in God, which he wants to give to us. And he has, and he will, and he does. So you think, okay. There's a God that wants to meet me where I'm at and who's willing to redeem me and reconcile me and everybody who will turn. But it's got to be in Jesus. It can't be in my good behavior. It can't be in my church attendance. It can't be in my acts of service. It can't be in my Bible literacy. It can't be in my, you name it, generous donations. Are we in Christ? As Christ is in the Father. This is all of John 17. This was Jesus' high priestly prayer. May all of my people be in me, Father, as I am in you, and you are in me, and I am in them. We're Trinitarian as people in the church, just as God is triune in his nature. It's the way he's designed. If we don't understand this, you will come to God either as the... The benefactor, kind of like the generous grandfatherly figure, wanting to know what he can do for you and what he can give you. And one day, you'll see him face to face and he said, well, it wasn't about what I could give you or what you could get out of this relationship. This was family. I just wanted you to be mine all the time. And you only wanted me when you needed something. If we look at our relationships with other people, does that work? Is that a good recipe for a good, strong relationship? I'll come to you when I need something. Eventually, you're just like, this is not working for me. I'm going to cut ties with that person because all they ever do is ask me for things, but they don't know me. They don't ask if it's convenient for me to help them in this way. They just assume I'm happy to drop everything and serve them. They assume I have all the money, and so sharing with them is no hardship for me. They assume that whatever problems they bring, I'm just happy to forgive, happy to help. Is that how God feels? What is if we don't understand who He is? Because we look at all he does, we're like, wow, he does so much. Yeah, but you love someone you're with, whether they do anything for you ever again or not. God's already done enough for us. If he never did another single thing, that would be just fine. We're already blessed beyond measure. We have this like little joking thing we say to each other. Uh, someone in the house sneezes, say, bless you, and they respond with, too late, already blessed. It's like, it's already happened. We're already in it. We're in the blessings because they're not determined by whether God gives us what we want or helps us have a nice day or fixes all our problems. That's not saving faith. And if we don't understand that, who God is, we won't know how to love him. And then maybe we don't actually love the God that is really God. We love our idea of God that we've come up with in our own head. And that's dangerous because we can get to him one day and he might be like, I don't know you. You didn't know me. And the equally opposite danger is we just look at how Jesus lived and walked among us. We just make him a man. We just make him a great teacher, profound wisdom, probably the wisest statements of truth and the most humble life you will see in any example in all of history and ever will. And you're like, man, that is admirable. He is inspiring. And then it stops right there. And so you live your whole life kind of imitating this Jesus man who you have snipped out of the Trinity and denied what the Bible says and rejected what God's trying to do and failed to understand what Jesus is even here for. And then you see God face to face and he's like, Jesus wasn't like an example lesson. Jesus was paying for your sins. Jesus is me in human form. Do you love me? When you saw Jesus, did you turn to me? Not just, oh, that's good advice. Depart from me, I never knew you. These are the words that should make us stop and say, we, we should know God as well as possible because it will bring out all the good fruit in our lives while we're here. And it will affirm assurance of faith. We just saw that in the end of chapter 2. Be built up in the assurance of our faith that we can die today, this moment, happy. Okay, good, God, take us home. Thank you for the life that we've had here. Whatever we've done, the good, the bad, thank you for the blessings you brought into it. But whenever you're ready, it's fine with me. 
Not like, I'm kind of still afraid of death. I don't know. How do you know you're really saved? What if, what if the sins I did are too bad? What if God doesn't accept me? Like, have I been good enough? Like, what if, you know, that's not the God we see. And so, therefore, there's a danger that the faith we have is not authentic. It's not truly who he is. And so, what I would like to do this morning, as we bring all these thoughts to a close is to challenge us not just to know about God, but to want to really know Him. I'd rather you have 1% of things that you know about God that you just really love and go after really well that are true than 15% knowledge of God with just facts and recitations and memorizations. It doesn't translate into love for Him, for the people around us, for ourselves. We should be so inspired to love a God who loves us this well. And we need to take it seriously. So, here's my <clears throat> summary statement I wrote down to how would I connect all these dots. Unless we believe that God, our wonderful triune God, has eternally existed in these three persons whom we describe and know as the Father, the Son, and Spirit, and unless you believe that God the Son became man as Jesus of Nazareth to die and rise from the dead to atone for the sins of the world for all who will believe, and unless you believe that we are lost without God's redeeming grace and have no hope of eternal blessings without his forgiveness, unless we believe all these things, we are not saved, our sins are not forgiven, we are not Christian, we are not of Christ. We are not going to heaven. We are not purchased. The offer is there from God for anyone, but there needs to be a reciprocity. And if you want to know how bad this hurts, think of all the people in your life that you love that didn't or don't love you back. Just because God loves us does not mean that we love him back. And just because he gave his only son for us does not mean that we are in him or with him. He's just being himself. His divine, holy, beautiful, loving, sacrificial self. What we do with that will define whether or not we are his or of him or not. 